Assalamu alaikum. I'm Sabah Malik and welcome to episode 4 of the Mentally Fit Muslims podcast. And do I have an episode for you today? It's like each guest that I find that I talk to, I just learn more and more. And subhanAllah, I got in touch with this amazing person, mashallah. He's a social worker, he's a professor, he is an author and a poet and much, much more. But most importantly, he has bipolar and he is successful. Yes, you can be both. So grab some tea or turn up the volume if you're listening to this in the car or you're out for a walk. And make sure you stay till the end because bro Omar, he will share what his favorite bubble tea is. And he's also going to give you some advice on what medications are actually working for him with regards to bipolar. And you can hear about all the great resources that he has for the Muslim community. All right. Enjoy the show. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Omar. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you? I'm good. Alhamdulillah. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. I'm doing well. Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to do this little chat slash interview. I'm I'm so happy to uh, like find a fellow bipolar. <laughs> when I first got bipolar, that's all I was searching for, like Muslims who had bipolar who were going through the same thing. So, how are you doing? Uh, what are you up to nowadays? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing very well. Um, as you know, uh, my name is Brother Omar El Rashid, and I help Muslims who are struggling with bipolar depression and anxiety. And so I've basically taken my life struggle and alhamdulillah through Allah's guidance and his mercy, I've been able to find a way to feel better with a combination of course medication management, but also applying Islamic and other principles into my life to find that balance that we all seek. And now alhamdulillah after finding that peace internally, I'm now sharing it with others professionally. Um, I also have a bachelor's and master's in social work. So this is my profession. This is what I'm trained in. So I sort of bring together a combination of my own lived experience as well as professional social work principles and Islamic guidance to those that I work with. MashaAllah, that is so amazing. Um, I think what's amazing about it is that I'm doing almost exactly the same thing you are doing. And when I looked you up on your website, it was exactly the same thing, the mission or my goal. It was right there. And in my head, I'm like, I have to talk to this person. I have to find out what they're doing. And I have to see how we can work together so we can further this cause. How did you get started? Like, there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's a few Muslims or many Muslims I know who have bipolar, but they don't have the same mission as you. They don't have the same goal. They don't have that that desire to help Muslims with bipolar. They're kind of very caught in their own. So how how did you get started in this? What was the turning point where you got over your stuff, you mastered it, and you realized that I can help others? Well, it's, it's a very uh, interesting story. And I think that, it, I guess for me, it helps to tell the story, you know, from beginning until today. So um, when I was only seven years old, I was diagnosed with ADHD in school. I was, of course, hyperactive, high achiever, but also easily distracted and very energetic. And so I was diagnosed originally with ADHD. And then when I turned eight years old, my elder brother, who was a, a dear family member of mine, he moved out when he went to college. And at that point, I went into a depression. And so they added additional medications and additional help for depression. When I turned 11, uh, that's when they changed my diagnosis. And that was the time of my very first suicide attempt. Sorry, age, what 11. age, age 11. Age 11. Yeah, so at 11, I, I had my first suicide attempt. I had just played a, a very fun game with my older brother who was coming back and visiting. And then I got into an argument with another person. And that person said to me, I wish you were dead. And I listened to what they said and I said, you know what, I'm going to make them pay for saying that to me. And I'm going and I'm because I'm, I'm a juvenile diabetic, I overdosed on insulin and I was sent to the emergency room and um, I was hospitalized for two weeks and they changed my diagnosis from depression mm -hmm. to bipolar. And so I've mm -hmm. been on different, I've been on pretty much every medication there is. Um, I've been through 
through the whole cycle. And uh, alhamdulillah, now I'm balanced on the medications that I'm currently taking, but it was a long journey. And um, in addition to, uh, you know, a, a long life of dealing with, uh, dealing with bipolar, dealing with the mood swings, dealing with the racing thoughts, dealing with the hyperactivity, dealing with the impulsiveness, dealing with the extreme happiness and joy and not needing sleep for days on end, and then the crash, the inevitable crash, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's difficult. But mm -hmm. alhamdulillah, with proper medications, but again, like with the internal work. So for me, my relief didn't come strictly from the medications. The medications helped to some degree, but it wasn't until I got in line with my spirituality and with my faith and my connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I was able to make sense of all the challenges. One of the things I always used to struggle with as a child was, why is it that I have all of these health conditions and none of my siblings do? They live an easy, normal life, and I'm the one who has all of these illnesses, diabetes, bipolar, ADHD, on and on and on. And so it wasn't until I came to that awakening and I realized that Allah was testing me, and Allah doesn't, there's a verse in the Quran that says, Allah does not burden a soul with a burden greater than it can bear. So the fact of the matter is, the reason Allah gave me so many challenges was because I'm extremely strong, and he therefore gave me tests to re refine and develop my strength. And other people just don't have that capacity. Therefore, they weren't given such great challenges. And again, everyone is given different challenges. You know, my sister has her issues. My brother has his issues. Of course, every, my, my parents, everyone has issues in life. But we are given a unique set of challenges based on what are our strengths? What are we capable of handling? And how is Allah going to demonstrate to us and help us to realize our own perfection? This is the guidance of all of humanity and not just all of humanity, everything in creation. Every apple tree is designed to reach its own perfection, to bear fruit and bear more apple trees, oranges, cantaloupe, you know, every fruit in the world, every vegetable, every animal, every elephant, every giraffe. It doesn't matter what the animal is. It is designed to find and realize its ultimate perfection. And the same is true for all seven billion humans on Earth. Allah is guiding us with a unique set of circumstances, trials, difficulties, and challenges, but he's helping guide us to our ultimate perfection. The difference between us and an apple tree is that the apple tree must go the way that Allah is guiding it, whereas a human being has the choice, has the choice to either go towards the refinement Allah is guiding him or her, or to go against that guidance and to run away from what Allah is and the perfection he's guiding this person to. So again, it's ultimately up to us. You can either go with the flow and go in the direction Allah is guiding you, or you can go away from him. And ultimately, it's, it's our choice. And Allah will, if you go away from his guidance, he increases the pressure of the tests over and over and over again until you come back to him. That's the nature of the life of this world. That's what this life of tests is all about. But again, that's why the Rasulullah says there are some human beings who are higher than the angels, those that choose to be refined and choose to purify themselves as Allah is guiding them. And then there are some humans who are worse than the animals. And those are the ones that run away from his test. Ultimately, it's our decision how we want to live. What I do is I help Muslims who are struggling with bipolar and other mental health struggles to find that internal voice, to find that internal purity, to find that internal resource and develop it and cultivate it and nurture it and yield. Because it's not that we, everybody has challenges. It's not that you know, we can't deal with problems. The question is, can we understand why we have them? And that context, that understanding, that deep-seated love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps make all of these worldly challenges much easier, inshallah. Uh, I loved your words. I think the main thing that stood out to me is you always going back to spirituality, getting in touch with your spiritual side and going back to Allah and knowing that the medications do help, the therapy does help, but they can only do so much, especially for Muslims. So I wanted to know how, because you got, um, you had your first suicidal attempt at age 11, and before that you had depression and ADHD. After that, that attempt, until you realized that you had to get in touch with your spiritual side, what, what got you to that point? Because that's kind of a very critical and I find a very pivotal point in someone's life. If they don't go through that journey, if they don't realize that they need Allah's help, 
they, they could find it later on, they could come back to it. But I find right when you're suffering, you're in something and you don't grab onto a lot, it's very hard afterwards. So what, what happened? Who did you turn to? What, what was your situation that made you return to Allah and realize that you need his help with this bipolar? Absolutely. So um, I would like to offer us a minor adjustment to what you said that no matter how soon or how late, once you're ready to turn over to Allah, you can turn back. It doesn't matter how many times you've run away. It doesn't matter how many times you've been guided to him and not responded. There's always time. Um, in fact, one of my personal quotes is, uh, as long as there is breath in our chests, we have time to make amends. We have time to come back to That's Allah. Beautiful. But um, either way, in my life, it happened when I was 15. So my parents divorced when I was young and my mother remarried a Muslim man. And um, this particular man was the most honorable, the most dignified, the most caring, loving. He himself is a social worker, which is what inspired me to go into social work. But it was through our relationship and his deep wisdom. You know, I always had a lot of questions about Islam that a lot of the people around me couldn't answer. I always had struggles and questions and things that nobody could really address. And it was my stepfather who I found solace in and with. And we had, so there was a time at which I was attending community college about an hour away from where I was living. And at that point, I was too young to drive, so I didn't drive. So he would drive me in the early in the morning and late at night uh, three days a week to this community college so that I could take my classes. And in the course of these hour-long car rides there and back three times a week, we engaged in a lot of deep discussions, psychology, Islam, philosophy, everything, all the conversations. It was, it was, it was like a smorgasbord. It was everything I could have ever asked for. It was a buffet. It was wonderful. Okay. And it was over the course of the semester, these three, three to four months, you know, of constant digging in that he helped me to connect with my Islam in a way, I, you know, alhamdulillah, I've always been Muslim, I've always been practicing, memorizing, or whatever. But, you know, it wasn't until that relationship developed and we engaged in those very deep-seated conversations that I was able to find that connection with Allah. Um, mm -hmm. So that's sort of, that was the pivotal path for me. So he was one person that you could turn to and he helped you learn about Islam. And were you open about bipolar with him? Of course. I mean, how could I not be? It's my mother's okay. husband. Right? So, okay, I, can, I, not, I, I know many no. people, They even to their own family members, they don't want to tell that they have bipolar. And a lot of them have been hiding it for decades. Uh, I see. Because they, so that, yeah, was never they, a concern. that was never a concern for me because my mother is a psychiatrist. So, wow, she, was, so. She, she knew and she was yeah. part of the process of my care from a very young age. You are very I mean, fortunate. She was, she, was, you... she, wasn't, she wasn't my practitioner, of course, but oh, she yeah. worked very closely with my practitioners. So, and right, there was already that awareness and that understanding and the support. So right. a lot of Muslims with bipolar, they do not have that. So I'm so happy that you are doing this work. You have that solid foundation. And with that, you can help people who don't have any foundation at all. Exactly. Because when I first got bipolar, nobody in my family knew about it. I didn't even know that the term existed. And when I first had my manic episode and my parents took me to the hospital, well, of course, the first thing was they took me to a sheikh because they thought I was possessed by a jinn, which is often the default for many people I've met who have bipolar. In the beginning, it's all, oh, it's a jinn possession. Let's take them to the sheikh. Of course, that doesn't work. So... <laughs> My family finally went to the hospital and they told me that it's not bipolar. They didn't even mention anything like that. They said, oh, you just had kind of a nervous breakdown. You have uh, a lot of stress in your life right now. So that's all they said. Um, they gave me some medication. I went home. And then when the dose finished, I, I was like, okay, it was like a headache. The medication finished. That's it. But then it came back two years later and it was much harder, more severe. And I crashed even uh, harder. And at that time, when I back, went back to the hospital, that's when I was told, okay, you have bipolar. And at that time, I finally realized, okay, I have an illness. And I just, you know, buried myself in it, trying to find out as much as I could. And I had no clue what the medication. So whatever the doctor said, I took. 
And of course, you probably know that there's no one medication that helps with bipolar. It's all like a whole bunch of cocktails. Um, so if you don't mind, do you want to share what medications have worked for you really well? Because that's one of the questions I often get asked when I find someone who has bipolar, they're struggling to find the right one. And I often have to tell them that, you know, it's usually a cocktail of medications and some might work for you, uh, even though they don't work for someone else. So it's really a trial and an error. Is that your experience or yes, can you absolutely. give us a little bit more hope that? that, that. No, it's always a trial. And, you know, the thing is that when it comes to anything in life, you have to try, you know, it's just like going to the clothing store. Nobody expects that every single garment in the clothing store is going to fit you. We all know yeah. that a sm this brand small is different than this brand medium. And you have to try it on. Everything in life is like that. If you don't try it on, it won't fit. You won't know until you try it on. That's kind of the reality of everything in life. And so come, so is the case with medicine. You have to take, and again, different people react to some medicines better than others. It's just about giving it some time, giving it a fair test. You give it, what, two, usually I, for me personally, when I'm testing a medication, it's usually five days to 15 days. I try a small dose. I see how it works. I see if I have any negative reactions, if it works and then it loses effect. And can you do this under the, the care of a psychiatrist, right? I've done it yeah. so many times. It's become easy, but you try it a little while, you, you test it out. If it starts to work or if you notice that it, it, you need more, you take a little bit more through the doctor's prescription, through the doctor's guidance, right? And then if it doesn't work or if you notice side effects as you increase the dose, you get off, you wean yourself off and you get on another one. You try all over again. You know, you know, it, it's amazing to me the way that we imagine that mental health struggles are any easier than anything else. You know, it's like in school we're we're very much comfortable with, you know, trying different pens or different notebooks or different study habits or different books or different some people like Wikipedia, some people like, you know, whatever. You use different software, you use different tools, and you have to find the one that fits for you. It's like that with everything in life. It's like that for books. It's like that for Islamic scholars. It's like that for Quran reciters. You have to try out a bunch of them to find out which one works for you. Which one do you like? Which one resonates with you? Why on earth would it be any different for medication? Why would it be, oh, there's only one pill that everybody takes and everybody responds the same? It's not the case. I think a lot of people have... Uh, they have expectations that are not congruent with reality. See, this is where, you know, so I'll give you an example. I live in Boston, right? And my brother and I always mm -hmm. joke about this. My brother says, Omar, everybody is upset about uh, Boston when it comes to traffic because they put it in their GPS and based on the distance, it should only take 20 minutes. But everybody in Boston knows that there's always terrible traffic. I mean, not anymore because of COVID, right? Now nobody's going to work as much as before. But it used to be at the peak of rush hour traffic, a 20 minute trip would take you an hour and a half. And he always told me, he said, you know, Omar, I don't get upset at the, at the fact that it takes an hour and a half. I have modulated my expectations. Okay, it's going to take an hour and a half. I'm going to account for that. I know it's going to take a, an hour and a half, even if the GPS says 20 minutes. We know that there's rush hour traffic. So don't worry about it. Why be upset about what you already know? My stepfather, he gave me a wise word once. He told me, Omar, are you going to get upset at the fact that gravity exists? Why are you going to be upset that gravity exists? You already know it's going to happen. You know it's the reality. You can't change the reality. So submit to it and you'll feel happy about it. You know what I mean? These are the kinds of yeah. tools and techniques that I give to people. But it's the same with medication. Nothing works one, one, one size fits all. It doesn't happen in the, in the, in the life of this world. It's not the nature, it's not the nature of the life of this world. There are differences. Right. There are, you have to try, you have to try this, try that. And if you can accept that it's not going to work the first time, but inshallah, it'll work by the fourth or the fifth or the 10th, then you keep trying until you get to where you're going to go. And again, the Quran is very clear on this in Surah Al-Najm, chapter 39, A of uh, 53, it says, And that mankind will have nothing except for that which he strives for. Uh, and his striving shall soon be seen. Uh, so 
as long as you realize that we are going to strive, we're going to try. It's not going to happen perfectly at first, but inshallah, it'll come. You keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, and eventually Allah will put barakah in whatever it is. Sometimes it's the first time, sometimes it's the fifth time, sometimes it's the 15th time, sometimes it's the 50th time, but it'll happen if you keep going at it. Allah doesn't leave us without a response, you know? But I think that a lot of us, you know, this culture, especially, especially the Western culture, and even in the Eastern culture these days, it's so impatient. It's so much of instant gratification that I want this solved now. But the reality is that life takes time. It takes time to understand a subject. What's great is that you realize that. Um, what's difficult, I find, is for people, um, let's say the Boston scenario, if they're coming to Boston for the first time, they're not going to know that. So. Right. You know, they're, they're going to put on their GPS and they're going to have that expectation, the 20 minute ride. And I've been to Boston. So now I know the first time I had that same experience. So I'm saying that because when I first got this, I knew none of this. And for right. years, I put myself down for that. How could I not know? How could? And then I realized there's no way I could have known. That was just my situation. And now that I know, I need to implement that and go with it and stop looking at the past. And a lot of people beat themselves, you know, because of that. So the people who are listening, if if you maybe feel you have bipolar or you have, you know, depression or something, just listen to Brother Omar's words. Uh, see that he already knows what there is to expect and learn from that and know that it will be okay. And Allah is there to help. And with medication, you will have to go through these adjustments and, you know, find a cocktail uh, because I think we approach it maybe like other um, illnesses sometimes, which is funny because at times we think uh, it's a mental illness is more psychological. So it's more what I do and how I handle it. And at other times when the medication comes in, we think, okay, there should be one medication for it, very concrete, like, you know, for diabetes or blood pressure, but it's not. So I think our um, thinking about it, our, our frame around mental illness needs to change and more I think it needs to be upgraded because we can't treat it like a physical illness in in some aspects we can and sometimes we have to approach it like a physical illness to show people that it is a valid condition because I've gotten that a lot it's just in your head uh, why don't you just you know get your life back together you should do this you should do that and then you'll feel better and medication is totally like shunned and it said no that's a crutch you don't need it and then there's the opposite extreme, you know, when you go to professionals who don't look at, you know, the personal or even the spiritual for them is just get on this medication and it, they just throw it at you. And it's very confusing when you're caught in the middle. So I think what you're saying is gold. And with this show, that's what I want to hand out to people that without them going through that struggle, they can skip all that. You know, they can learn from you and know that what they're going through that have their expectations that they have a test in front of them and that Allah does not, you're right, he does not burden you with a test that you can't handle. And th there was one thing you mentioned when you were talking about your siblings that how come, you know, they don't have an illness like me, they don't have the, you know, ADHD or the depression or bipolar. Um, how did you deal with that? How did you kind of focus away from that? And just say, okay, my condition is this, and I have to work with what I have and stop comparing myself to uh, my siblings or others. Or how did you work that out? Or do you still find it so a that, struggle? So, no, I mean, that, that, alhamdulillah, I've worked through that part. Um, that one was a very tough one. But ultimately, what it really boiled down to was realizing that everyone has their own struggles. So my, my sister and my brother, they have their own set of issues. And, and, and of course, I'm not going to share what they are on the, on the call, but I know what they are. I've seen them and I've, I've understood them. And their challenges are their own challenges. One of the things that I like to think of that uh, helps me uh, go through much of my, my uh, situations. And so as a diabetic, my mother uh, showed me and she used to teach me this phrase, Omar, there's nothing that you can't do because of your diabetes. So I did mention that I'm diabetic and I have, obviously I have bipolar. Yeah. What I didn't mention is that I graduated high school when I was 15, that I graduated with my undergraduate oh, 20 with uh, uh, Sumna Kodan Laude. That's and amazing. I was one of my class. 
I didn't mention that I graduated with my master's in social work at 21. I didn't mention that I published wow. five books by the age of 30. So there is That's nothing so that my bipolar stops me from being able to do. In fact, many people with bipolar are naturally high achievers. There are yeah. many, yeah. Uh, of course, I don't know if you know, but Picasso, one of the great artists mm -hmm. and painters, was bipolar. There, are, And I think uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe was also said to have been uh, a very prolific author and poet. Was uh, that had, So there are many. Well, Winston Churchill yeah. is... I mean, not exactly. Anyway, that's yeah. neither here nor there. there are many, there are many people who have been extremely productive in their lives who've had bipolar and other mental health challenges. If we believe that we're not able to do something because of our condition, that's a belief that we choose to believe. There's no evidence and there's no compulsion that because you have a condition, you can't, can or cannot do something else. That's just not true. My mother said, Omar, there's nothing you can't do because of your diabetes. In fact, there was a time I remember in undergrad, I was taking a final exam and I realized my blood sugar was low. And of course, I have my backpack with my insulin and my testing supplies, whatever. I checked my blood sugar. It was low. I very quickly ate a granola bar and I finished my test and I, I finished and I graduated from, from undergrad, right? So it doesn't matter what the difficulties are. Oh, you're having a manic episode. You're having something go on. Take a moment, step away from work, take a break. You know, say, hey, I can't come into work today or I can't finish this assignment. I Give yourself five, 10 minutes, take a break, do what you need to do. Uh, calm down, take yourself out of the situation. Come back to it. Life goes on. You know, you do what you need to do. When something comes up, you take care of it. There are a lot of coping techniques and a lot, of, and actually in my books, I share a lot of techniques that can help with getting out of negative thinking, for example, with getting out of stress, with using the Quran to feel better as a bipolar or as someone struggling with mental health issues. I have a technique that I use for a vacation when you're overwhelmed by stress and you can't get out of it. You can't get away from your problems. You can't make them go away, but at least you can take a vacation so you can get your energy back so that you can go deal with them. All of these are resources that I offer on my website and in different places where there are techniques, there are coping mechanisms, there are strategies, and they work. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just get the ebook. It's not hard. Yeah. So when you get these resources, well, you're, able to, you're able to use these resources and feel the relief that you need. But you go back into life. Yeah, so it's not like yeah, when, you, when you're was... overwhelmed by, sorry, it's, it's not when you're overwhelmed by something that you, mm -hmm. you, you, you're, you're done for the rest of your life. No, you take a 15 minute break, you take an hour, you take a day, you'll go back to life, you'll go back to whatever, but take care of yourself. Because ultimately, if you are gone, the world will miss you and there's nothing that, you know, it's better that you take a day off than destroy mm -hmm. your life and, and keep working. Because, and especially yeah. in, and stay with these jobs in school, if, if you don't turn in an assignment, the, the teacher isn't gonna lose any sleep. You know what I mean? If you miss a day of work or if you, if you honestly, if you quit the job, they'll replace you in two weeks. Why would you give up your life for a job that doesn't care about you that much? Take care of your health. Take care of your responsibilities. Take care of your soul. Allah cares more about you than your job ever will. Khalas. You do your job, you do your work, but if you need a, a mental health day, take it. Your job isn't going to, isn't going to, you know, you're probably more concerned. Oh my God, I, I, I said I was going to deliver this. This look, if it doesn't happen, who cares? Khalas, it's done. Life is bigger than your job. Life is bigger than your school. Life is bigger than whether you're married or not married, or have kids or don't have kids, or your parent. What What will my parents think of me? What will my cousins think of me? Who cares? They are not more important than Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah is the one who matters. So as long as you're doing what you need to do by Allah, you're okay. And even when you struggle with doing what you need to do with Allah, Allah is forgiving. Many people, and this is something that I get often, many Muslims who take medications have difficulty, for example, waking up for Fajr. If, if it is truly the case that you cannot wake up for Fajr because of your medication and without this medication, you can't do well, pray your Fajr when you wake up. Allah is Ar-Rahim and Ar-Rahman. Do what you need to do to live and survive and thrive. Allah understands. I'm not throwing out the wajibat and the rules of Islam, but I am saying Allah knows your situation. Allah knows when a, when a, a woman who's pregnant or, on, or whatever, if she can't stand when she's praying, she can sit down. Mm -hmm. If you're sick, you lay down and you pray. If you are traveling, you shorten your prayers. 
Allah has built in mercy. Even like me as a diabetic, I cannot fast the month of Ramadan. Allah wrote in the Quran, if you are sick, feed a hungry person instead. Allah has always made alternatives for those who cannot do what is asked. There is always an alternative. All of the rules are conditional in Islam. It is forbidden to eat pork. Always. Always? No. Unless your life would unless you would lose your life if you don't eat it. Every single condition, every single rule in Islam has conditions. If you are unable to wake up for Fajr because of this medication, pray Fajr right when you wake up. Khalas, done deal. Sometimes you can adjust the medication. Sometimes you can, you know, find ways. But if there's really nothing that you can do other than taking the medication and, and oversleeping for Fajr, then pray when you wake up. Allah will not punish you for with hellfire for a condition that he gave you and a medicine that he, he, he revealed to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Life doesn't need to be so complicated. We don't need to stress ourselves out. We need to live our lives the best that we can. Like I said, Allah is guiding each of us to our ultimate perfection. We have to go with the way that he's guiding us. And we, see, this is the problem that we have as bipolars and as everything else. We want to tell Allah how we want to feel better. That's the big problem. We submit to Allah. Allah doesn't submit to us. That's the big problem. And that's a very big problem in the West especially in, among Christians, you find that they, they believe God is made in their image, not that yeah. they are made in God's image. They believe they are masters of God and that God is, is their slave. It's very, it's very backwards. But sometimes Muslims do the same thing. Oh, Allah, I want to feel better with bipolar, but I don't want to take medication. Okay, so you're, you're putting terms on how Allah is going to help you? You're telling Allah what he can and can't do? No, you submit. I have an illness. I don't know how to feel better. Find someone who helps. Someone help me feel better. Okay. Then that means you have to submit to the truth. Again, I, I give this example in my counseling to people. I say, if you are next to a concrete wall, you can bang your head against the concrete wall as much as you like. Which is going to break first, the concrete wall or your head? So many Muslims, they bang their, their head against a concrete wall and expect the concrete to break before their skull. No, it doesn't yeah. work that way. Stop banging your head against the wall. It's like I said, I, I really like this metaphor my stepfather gave me. It's like getting angry that gravity exists. I wish gravity yeah. didn't exist. I, I wish I had all this before, but alhamdulillah, you know, Allah chose to bring you at this time. What you said about, you know, ha submitting to Allah instead of thinking that, you know, God forbid, or that Allah is going to submit to us. You know, that kind of genie in the bottle, I can call on him whenever I need. And he's going to give me exactly what I ask for. A lot of the hardships that I listen to, you know, with others who have bipolar is that bipolar becomes the center. Once they realize, okay, it's bipolar and I have to um, manage it, I have to take care of it. It kind of takes over their life. I find that has happened to me that everything else just goes out the window. Even people I love, my job, everything else, activities, it's all about taking care of this illness. And at times I feel like if I don't um, let go, if I don't take care of it, it will overtake me and I will get sick again and I'll have another suicidal attempt and then everything will be gone. It's that fear of always trying to control the bipolar. And in that process, I often lose sight of a lot that he's the one who controls that. So what has your experience been regarding that? Did you ever find when you were when you first got bipolar in the beginning step when you were figuring out how to deal with it? Because you pretty you had a like a pretty good knowledge about it because of your family and the support. But when you were setting up your own support plan and from getting from there to all the books you've published and your counseling and your amazing videos, how how did you put Allah at the center and how do you continue doing that instead of putting bipolar at the center? Like what are concrete steps you take that, you know, every day, little things that you do. Um, like I love the adjustments that you make you or, or that you talked about where if you can't pray, especially with fighter. And I, I have that problem too. Often with the medications I take, it's very hard to wake up, especially in the summer, you know, very early that often makes me manic. So what are things you do every day to keep Allah at the center and not letting bipolar 
you know, overtake you. And even with counseling, it, like you having bipolar and counseling others, how, how do you keep your own mental health in check? How, how do you stay sane, you know, with the work you're doing? How do you keep Allah at the center? I guess that's my big question. So I think they're both good questions. Um, to be honest, I don't know that I ever, at least I never in my mind conceptualized myself as putting my bipolar at the center. That was never something that happened to me, mm -hmm. just like I never put diabetes at the at the center. You know, the way my mother okay. raised me with my biological, my physical illness, which is my chronic illness, which is diabetes, she said, Omar, there's nothing you can't do. All you have to do is make adjustments. The, the diabetes is just a part of your life. You take accommodations as you must. You take steps, but live your life. Your life is, you are not defined by your diabetes. That's how she taught me with my diabetes. With my bipolar, I kind of just lumped it in with another one of my health issues. It's just another thing that I have to deal with. I have to make certain modifications. For example, I really don't like watching uh, American television. I find that American television uh, is very, very triggering for me when it comes to uh, gender relations. I think that I don't like the illicit and the it's, it's problematic for me. So I just cut that entire chapter of life out and I'm a lot happier and I have a lot more time. People wonder, Omar, how do you write five books and you have three jobs and you do this and you do that. You work full time. You're a professor. You counsel Muslims. You're a martial artist instructor. You're many things. How do you have time for it? I said, it's very easy. I cut out TV. Cutting out TV gave me an additional 15 hours or 20 hours a week. 20 hours a week is a long time. It's a lot That's of time. Amazing. Yeah. You just cut out TV and all of your life is safe. But anyway, there are certain things I don't go like whenever I go to watch the movies, I'm very careful with the the um the rating of the movies. And I and I always pre-screen them and I always double check and read the reviews and I make sure that I don't expose myself to something that's going to trigger me. I'm very so this is a a, a situation for many bi people with bipolar and other mental health struggles. Sometimes we connect very deeply to television shows. We see ourselves in the characters. We see ourselves in the story and we personalize it. I don't know if you've had this experience or if you've discussed this with other people. Yeah, that was one of my main uh, manic episodes where I thought I was in the TV. They were talking to me and other people don't understand why do you have kind of this uh, repulsion towards certain TV shows or something like that. And you're right. We, we do personalize it. And it, it, it's like what you consume. You're, what you're it's consuming exactly is what not you just consume. what you eat. Yeah. And actually, so there was a lecture that I, a lecture, Islamic lecture that I listened to, God, 10 years ago when I was still living in New Jersey. And the person said that there are five gateways to the soul. And those five gateways are your sense of sight, your sense of smell, your touch, your sense of hearing, uh, and your uh, taste, your sense of taste. Those five senses are the things that touch your soul. They affect your soul. So be careful what you touch with those five senses. Whatever you consume is anything that you feel those five uh, sensory emotions. They affect you. Certain music is very problematic. Certain music is very beneficial. And I'm not one of those Muslims who believes all music is haram. I think haram music is haram. I don't think all music is haram. There's the bird singing is music. There's a lot of beautiful music in the world that soothes us that I use. So that's, you know, and whatever. You have a and resource for that on your website, I saw. Yeah, I do. Uh, a yeah. resource for a lot of the positive music. And honestly, a lot of these very spiritually oriented artists, they make very good songs that are very they positive. Do, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't use it as a support, then you're you're cutting you're cutting yourself off from access to good. Allah in the Quran says, La tuharam, uh, why do you forbid that which Allah has made lawful for you, the good and the lawful for you? Why do you prohibit yourself that which Allah has made halal? You know, so positive words, positive messages are halal. Khalas. I mean, don't cut yourself off from something. Oh, you know, anyway, that's another story altogether. We have to be careful of our five senses. Yeah. We have to regulate what we expose ourselves to. And, you know, for me, alhamdulillah, Allah has made so much halal pleasure. We don't need haram pleasure. A lot of people say, oh, Islam takes away all the fun stuff. All that stuff is disgusting anyway. Yeah. Alcohol like, and intoxicants, yeah. it's not good. 
it doesn't there's make you so many like- drinks we can we can drink and the only one thing is forbidden which is alcohol and right like, we can't have fun we can't drink anything it's only one drink that's forbidden everything else is made halal so you're right by the Those way if you haven't tried if you haven't tried bubble tea enjoy oh. it bubble tea is one of my <laughs> favorites bubble tea oh. masala chai what's your favorite flavor Oh, uh, I like honeydew. I like papaya. I like uh, taro. I like taro. Uh, rose hip. I'm, I'm a chai fanatic. Not the masala chai, but the, just with cardamom and uh, what is it called fennel seeds. In Urdu, we call it salt. So uh, is, um, that, is that uh, is that uh, sage or is that no, it's fennel? Fennel seeds. Yeah. Fennel. Fennel. They oh, look yeah. like cumin, but they're green. Yeah. It tastes good, but I don't like the masala chai. Too much masala in it. It's not even chai anymore. It's fine. It's, yeah. It's not my cup of tea. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, were you born here or did you... Yeah, I was uh, born in the... Oh, okay. So, you grew up in Boston? You lived here all your life? No, no. I grew up in Maryland. That's where I was raised. How did you know you wanted to become a social worker? Well, it was actually the inspiration for my stepfather when I was... 16 when I was getting ready to apply for colleges and whatever he told me Omar social work is the is the job of the prophets he said if you look at all of the prophets of God they came to serve the oppressed they helped the women and the orphans and the widows and the slaves and the poor that's who they came to serve and if you look at the NASW code of ethics the National Association of Social Workers the very first Mm -hmm. sentence of that document says social workers serve the oppressed. Yeah. So there are a lot of issues in social work with, you know, LGBTQ and but there's also mm-hmm. a lot of good that social workers do for empowering humanity. Right. So I use my role to do that. And mm-hmm. so I'm very glad I got into it. Good. Alhamdulillah. Um I want to ask you what are your hobbies or what do you do when you're well between your three jobs and writing books and doing talks? What do you have free time? What do you do? I do have free time. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'm a martial. I'm a martial artist. So I, I actually, uh, I want to say wow. three weeks ago, uh-huh. three weeks ago. It was October 29th. So what is that? Yeah, that's three weeks ago. I earned okay. my black belt in jujitsu. My second degree Mashallah, black. Belt. I, I just yeah. keep getting amazed and amazed every time I ask you a question. You have another accomplishment to add. So. <laughs> Yes, I, so I teach uh, martial arts now these days because of COVID I haven't we, our yeah. dojo is closed we can't really practice much but we've been practicing on our own uh, okay. at home and I have I have people that I, I share my home with and so I train them uh, sometimes and we practice together um, I do watch some Islamic TV serials that I like mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. also I listen to music uh, one of them is called uh, Nebi Yusuf. So there's a, a TV story, a TV show depicting the life of Nebi Yusuf. I think it's a fantastic really? show. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's really good. Uh, and oh, they have it. In, they have they have English subtitles. They have an English dubbed version, but the 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 voice acting is so terrible. I just watched the subtitles. Okay. Uh, but um, there are a lot of other series that I like to watch. Islamic lectures. I listen to Islamic lectures, of course, and I like mm-hmm. to uh, I like to. Um, Actually, one of the things I do most for my own enjoyment is uh, listening to music and dancing. Like those are my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, inshallah, one, one of these days yeah. I'll get married, inshallah, and have someone to share that with. But for inshallah. now, no. Yeah. But I do like to dance. Okay. I also, uh, I, I like. I usually go out with my friends. I spend a lot of time with my friends, talking on the phone or in cafes or whatever. Um, I, yeah. I also cook. I like to cook, and I invite my friends over for meals. So What's I like to cook. And I like, that you cook? So I, I cook what an Egyptian favorite? dish called musa'a, which is uh, mm-hmm. also called musaka. It's eggplant, oh, wow. tomato paste, uh, fried fried eggplant, uh, tomato paste, ground beef, uh, oh, and cooked green peppers, red peppers. It's really yummy. It's one of my favorite dishes to cook. Um, I also have a, a honey chicken and an orange chicken recipe that I like, uh, although I haven't wow. made it. Um, I used to love cooking, but now it's just too much work. But I just want to get it over with. And that's but. the thing. I, co- <laughs> I cook fast dishes. I don't spend a lot of time oh, okay. cooking, but I make the food really good, really quickly. I, I do not like slaving away in the kitchen. Yeah. I don't think I should yeah. spend two hours to, to cook something I'm going to eat in five minutes. Yeah. I spend 10 that's minutes true. to cook something I'm going to eat in 10 minutes, and that's that's about right for me. 
Well, you guys, uh, you heard Omar, actually, uh, his mom say there's, what was it? There's nothing you can do. Uh, there's nothing diabetes. you can't do. There's can't. nothing you can't do, of course, uh, with diabetes. And your quote was, as long as you have breath, there's a chance to go back to Allah. That is what you said? My quote was, as long as there's breath in our chests. In our chest, okay. We have time so, to make amends. Yeah, I'm writing that down so I can go back to it. And I'll be going back to this episode so I can just hear you talk and your wisdom and your insight. Because people who are just starting out, who are just getting aware, um, you know, of becoming aware of mental health and the issues related to it, this is something that's so amazing for them to listen to. Because in the beginning, people who don't have this knowledge, they're like in the dark. And right. I'm, I'm so grateful that you came on the show. Alhamdulillah. I'm so happy you're doing all this work because I was trying to get to that point to have these, you know, my ebooks published and get these resources. But seeing that you're doing all that now, I hope, um, you know, I can, I can see you as a mentor and learn from you and just grow this area of not just using Islam um, to help bipolar, but just spiritual, like a faith-based, approach to dealing with mental illness because i think even non-muslims have that problem that a lot of them they after having a, a mental illness for so long they find that they need to go back to you know getting in touch with a power that's higher than them their spiritual side because that gives them motivation to deal with all this mental chaos for your listeners who are interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can always come to my website, which is, you know, www.broomarlrashid.com. And you can find a way to, to get in touch with me and the resources that I provide and those kinds of things. But I also have a training course for Muslims who are interested in actually helping other Muslims. Oh, really? So for those people, I, I have a training course in which oh, I'm... I didn't see that. Yeah, that's actually not on my website as of right now, okay. but it is something mm -hmm. that's in development. So if you're oh, interested, in people, if, if you're interested in learning how to help yeah. other Muslims who are struggling with these things, the same principles mm -hmm. that I use, I teach. So I if that's something that, that you're interested in, maybe you could, uh, we could look into yeah, that I further. Would. Like I'm trying to make that path, but it looks like you've made it so I can just follow it. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> and guys, I'll be putting... Um, all the website and all your resources, uh, Brother Omar's resources in the show notes. So you can go straight to that. Uh, you also, you said you offer counseling. I saw some one-on-one. -on -one and then Yes, I do one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, and there are video courses as well. Yes. So what I have is I have printed books, or not printed books, but textbooks, eBooks, and I have uh, audio books. That's mm -hmm. one way. And then I have some video trainings. And then I have mm -hmm. group coaching calls. Yeah. And then I have one-on-one. -on -one. So all four are available, depending on what people need. And can you tell us, lastly, about the survey that you are doing? The, the one that sure. I found the, So the, yeah. sur the survey is, I wanted to get outreach and get um, response from the Muslim community about who is struggling with mental health issues. One of the biggest challenges with Muslims is they don't know who to turn to. When they turn yeah. to the mosque and to the sheikh mm -hmm. and to whatever, they get terrible advice and they end up feeling worse. I remember yes. sheikh used to tell me, oh, na'udhu billah, brother, you just don't worship Allah enough. You should rely on yeah. Allah. Don't you know it's a sin to be depressed? You know you're going to yeah. hell if you commit suicide. Heard that many These, times. This is not helpful for any for any human being. This is not something that will help you. And then there are the Western professionals that you know yeah. <laughs> they offer advice. Oh well, you know if you're if you're having trouble with not being able to be married, why don't you go to a to a to a, a strip joint? It's like no, exactly. no, thank you. That's not yeah. going to help. Thank it's you very much. Extreme. I, yeah, very extreme. Yeah. And so. What I'm doing with this survey is connecting people, trying to understand better in the Muslim community, not only bipolar, but bipolar, uh, pornography addiction, depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, bulimia, anorexia. There are a whole OCD, uh, borderline personality, all of the diagnoses that are around and, and sleeping problems and everything just to get a baseline to understand our community. What are we dealing with? And this is an international research project. So anyone who is even speaking English anywhere in the world can respond mm -hmm. to the survey. And what I'm okay. doing with the responses is I'm collecting the information to help to understand better 
who is struggling with what, what are the demographic profiles, all that stuff, and doing the quantitative analysis of the research at an academic level. But I'm also avail making available resources to anybody who takes the survey so that mm -hmm. they can share what is their experience been. But if they're interested in getting uh, free resources, I deliver, I hand deliver, I like literally sit there, take, read your survey, get your email address, send you resources, and I reach out to you. And I, and I find ways of being able to provide and connect you with things because some people, they just don't know where to go for help. Yes. And so I yeah. thought that if I make the survey and I distribute it, people who need it will take it, mm -hmm. inshallah. And after mm -hmm. that, they can get connected with resources that can be of benefit. And most Thank of those resources so much, are free. Yeah. Some of yeah. them are, are inexpensive, but most of them are free. May Allah reward you for all the good that you are doing. I'm so happy to have someone like you in our community. Uh, just before you go, it's something small. I forgot to ask, given your experience, what are the best medications or, you know, at, at least the ones that you found generally work better than others? Because there's so many, there's new ones always coming out and I know it'll change, but just to give some kind of um, guidance to somebody who's just starting out, or, you know, they have a loved one who won't take medication or nothing's working. What what would you say just in general? What medication? I mean, to... it's hard to say because, again, it really depends on the person. Right. I can say that the medications that I've had good uh, results with for ADHD, I have mm -hmm. found um, Adderall XR is actually ex extremely good. They have okay. other new ones like Vyvanse and whatever, but I never bothered with those. I'm I, I like mm -hmm. Adderall. Um, okay. For bipolar, I think Latuda is an excellent drug. It's the when I uh, went mm -hmm. back to medications after my last, you know, episode. Um, mm -hmm. Latuda is the one that they put me on, and I think that it's a it's a very balanced drug. Of course, it doesn't have weight gain issues. Latuda. It is pretty new, but it's really good. Like I like it. Okay, it's worked okay. for me. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay. I also think Wellbutrin is useful for those who have uh, stronger depressive episodes. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I'm using, so those are the two that I'm on right now as well, Butrin and Latuda. Okay. Um, but, um, so that's that. I also think in the past I used a medication called Geodon. Geodon okay. was useful when I was using it, um, okay. but I used it in combination with others. And I found Risperdal was effective. Uh, and yeah, actually Risperdal was good one. because Risperdal helps me to sleep. So yeah. it was good for balancing my sleep cycle. Um, and alhamdulillah, with Risperdal, I was still able to wake up for Fezure. It wasn't so sedating that I couldn't wake up for Fezure. But again, it depends on the dose. It depends on yeah. the person. You can't, right. there's no hard and fast rule for any of these. Well, thank you so much. Um, I, I thought this uh, chat would be shorter, but you had so much to say and I just didn't want to stop talking. <laughs> so I understand. Uh, thank you again uh, for coming on. May Allah reward you immensely for all the good work you're doing. And guys, don't worry, all the resources that Brother Omar has mentioned, they'll all be in the show notes and the survey that he is doing to get um, a thousand Muslims with bipolar or mental illness to get all the information and pull them together. That link will also be in the show notes. Um, that is the first uh, thing or the first way I saw your work, actually, that, that got me started. So uh, maybe for some of the listeners, that is how you will um, get in touch with Brother Omar. So please check those out. And that's it for today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Omar? No, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. And may Allah bless you for all that you're doing. I mean, may Allah bless you as well and uh, give you much more success and prosperity. I mean, inshallah. Okay. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. All right, guys. So that was the episode for this month. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned from it. See you in my next episode. Assalamu alaikum.